0: This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Ellman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA's Emma Albaum speaks with Sarah Thunberg, CEO and co-founder of Geospiza. And uh, so thank you, Sarah, so much for joining us today on the Impact Report. Thanks so
1: much for having me. I'm very honored to be here. And we think of ourselves as helping our customers adapt to a rapidly changing climate. Geospiza the genus of Finch that Darwin studied as he developed his theory of evolution for people who know it's a really fun name. And then also it's like a sort of like thing to tuck in our hearts as we do all of this really hard work to keep coming back to the mission and being really
2: clear about what it is we're doing. So that's definitely the story behind the name. Um, Do you want to talk more about the company and the general history of how you...
1: Yes, absolutely. So I'm actually an emergency manager by training and practice. So I spent most of my pre-startup career helping cities, states, the federal government, international organizations, governments internationally, and very large companies understand and take action on mostly their natural hazard risk. So a lot of preparedness, a lot of mitigation, response, recovery, I've responded myself to more than 50 presidentially declared disasters in the United States. Is as we've seen the sort of ever present daily manifestation of climate change be weird and wonky weather and increased natural hazards and increased severity of natural phenomena and unpredictability, the world of climate change and emergency management really merged for me. And I, in my emergency management practice, was a modeling and simulation person and really was invested in how we make better decisions in time-pressured environments or resource-poor environments, how we can bring data to bear to help us make really much better decisions. And that has been sort of a seamless uh, thread as I've moved into sustainability work and climate risk management work. That. Um, I believe very strongly in the power of data and the power of evidence and how we can leverage huge amounts of data that are available to us now because of advances in cloud computing and technology and all of these things. We should bring all this data to bear to to work on this incredible challenge, I would argue the most significant challenge we're facing right now. And so that's that's sort of the, the heart of the story and how we got there. Um, I have a technical co-founder who is a software engineer who has deep experience in building software applications that use huge amounts of data. So defense department technology, health insurance technology, and ad tech. And we really felt like bringing a lot of data to bear and making it really simple for non-technical, non-scientific people to understand, whether those be municipal um, public safety officials or policymakers or Risk managers in large companies. Um, so that's that's the how we got there and a little bit of background.
2: No, that's so helpful. Um, I, I'm, I'm especially curious by how you approach this question of risk. So you come from an emergency management background, and I'm really curious how that informs your approach in analyzing risk and um, sort of that, how that informs the outputs of your thoughts. I mean, if you want to talk a bit about. Um, the platform itself and what it offers, that would be much appreciated as well. Yeah, absolutely. So
1: let's take the the second question first. So (laughs) GeoSpisa, Bill, we have a web-based platform that has sort of two key parts. They're linked, but the first one is that we have a very Robust data integration architecture on our back end where we feed in huge amounts of data, we're at about 1500 give or take disparate data sets and sources models, most of them are have some connection to natural hazards or climate. um, Or the cascading effects of that so we have a lot of population data, we have some IoT sensor data, weather um, projections from the IPCC. GDAC, all sorts of stuff, we we pull it together. And then we try to knit a really simple to engage with wonderful user experience where non-technical people, usually using a map-based interface, can click on and off um, layers related to data or hazards. um, And they can visualize assets or communities or projects On a map in the context of all of this hazard and risk information. So that might look like the city of San Francisco, for example, is undergoing a huge project to rebuild the Embarcadero and and revitalize some of the port area. So you could evaluate the entire Embarcadero area or the neighborhood in San Francisco, and you could look at population features, specific um, buildings, or areas, and then click on and off various layers so you could look at projections around um, sea level rise or uh, NFIP flood mapping or any element of that and really have a seamless visual. Um, So we think that's part one. And then the next step is, is putting all of that data and all of that risk information into action. And that's actually what I'm most passionate about. I think we have tons of risk data. And we have tons of information about what could happen, but taking action is where we really have the impact to have change. Um, And so we facilitate this action taking through uh, a particular decision-making process called decision pathway modeling. And it essentially looks um, like a subway map where you Say you you identify where you currently are on the left hand side. Um, imagine a line, and then on the right hand side you have your end goals. And those goals could be um, greenhouse gas emission targets. They could be revenue targets. They could be um, population health targets. And then we facilitate through technology mapping the various strategies that could be deployed to ensure you get to that end target. And we use some machine learning and we use some um, AI informed information to make recommendations within the platform. So for example, uh, on the sea level rise problem set, you could have a bunch of resilience strategies. You could have retention ponds, you could have um, sea sea walls, you could raise buildings, but each of them has its unique, unique costs and benefits time horizons, other cascading consequences. And so we use some machine learning um, and are a little bit in the early days of this, of making those recommendations and capturing how much it might cost, how a sequence of activities could really yield the best outcome. Um, So yeah, so, and and at its simplest, we think about uh, the what as the risk data the so what as the asset or the population in the context of that risk, and the now what as the decision making we can facilitate in the context of all of that so that we can really drive resilience for communities, for
2: enterprises, and for the globe. Wow, that was an amazing answer Um, and so fascinating. I'm especially intrigued by it. seems like there are these two parts of the decision making pathways that you described. There's there's the one side, which is the goal setting, and the other side, which is the communication piece. Um, and I think it's really interesting that you have that sequencing and that show how cumulative activities can lead to um, certain outcomes. Um, I'm kind of curious um, how uh, your users arrive at their goals, if it's mostly dependent on. Who they are, or if that's something that you help facilitate. Um, I'm thinking in particular about how there's in businesses at least there's uh, difficulty to see long term, and in uh, in policy there's, there's a difficulty to achieve these short term gains, right? Yes. These quick wins, and I'm I'm curious how you navigate that side on the goal setting piece, and then um, kind of what led you on the flip side, what led you to this uh, communication strategy.
1: The question on goal setting and the challenge of goal, goal setting is a good one, and it is not one we at Geospiza engage in deeply. That usually our customers, whether they're municipalities, agencies, or or private entities, businesses, um, usually they've set some sort of goal or target in. Europe and New Zealand, Asia, um, and somewhat in South America, I see enterprises setting goals far more often and more aggressively than we see enterprises in the United States. Um, it is, there are huge amounts of companies in the world who have committed to a Paris aligned goal. I don't think we necessarily see that as much in the United States, though it's happening much, much, much more quickly. Um, So usually companies have obviously revenue targets. They usually have some sort of climate associated targets and then they also have um, business continuity requirements. And we feel like our platform is a place where lots of where those three things can be managed in coordination and really that will drive effective and efficient change in climate risk reduction when those three things come together. I think and we believe at Geospiza very strongly that currently there's such a fractured political environment and such a fractured Um, policy environment, which I'd love your thoughts on, policy environment around climate and around converting to a a low carbon economy, having a meaningful price of carbon, that really it's going to be large enterprises rather probably than global political institutions that are going to make some of the huge changes we need to see. And so we think at GSPS, it's really important to empower them to understand and make decisions that link service level agreements or customer delivery requirements um, together with their revenue targets, together with their climate risk reduction. And that all of that needs to really come together. Um, So that's a big part of what we do. And so lots of times we're working with customers who have almost always, I, I actually can't think of a time when we have a customer that doesn't already have a set of goals or objectives or targets. So we don't help in that. Um, I would love to. But I think there are people who do that really well. And I also think there's a little bit of sort of peer pressure um, where uh, other enterprises or other organizations, whether it's Paris or whether it's um, in the shipping industry, there's um, something called the Poseidon principles where there's sort of other entities that, that establish the goals and the targets or science-based targets, which is a whole other movement. And people come to join those. And we really just empower that. How we came to adaptive pathways um, or adaptation pathways as a strategy. So the Idea of adaptation pathways, dynamic decision pathways, they are called lots of things is actually an academic idea that comes from the Netherlands, and it was developed to help government entities in the Netherlands make plans for infrastructure projects, primarily water projects, in the face of deep uncertainty. And so there's sort of two ways I think that lots of climate planning goes three ways really science-based targets and achieving those science-based targets. Then there's scenario-based planning where you say in a you know 2.5 degree warming environment, here's what we anticipate and we we go down that path. Or you you set some sort of scenario and then you move forward from there. We at Geospiza and using this decision pathways approach assume essentially that any and all of the bad things could and will happen, but we don't know when. And we don't know what exactly what it's going to look when it happens. So we take an approach that assumes sort of all possible outcomes and backs into the planning and says, assuming that this will happen eventually, what will you need to do to ensure you still meet your objective? And what data do we need to underlie your path, your map to getting there so that you know you need to move to a different strategy? So an example might be, um, uh, and and how do you sequence those so you get the best sort of bang for your buck? So an example is, um, for example, lots of barge shipping on rivers obviously is dependent on the the flood level of the river. If it's too high, barges can't go and product can't move. If it's too low, um, barges can't go and product can't move. So you have to take alternative strategies, and those strategies might be moving to rail, moving to trucks, moving your operations altogether, so you avoid having to ship on a river. And each of them has their unique costs and benefits. Um, moving to rail or to truck uh might be more expensive, it might be faster, but it also has way more greenhouse gas emissions. Um, moving operations is sort of a last ditch effort uh, and you might wanna wait a while and have more certainty that that conditions are gonna be really poor before you do that. So within the Geospisa application, this is a really simplified case, um, you, uh, a customer would say, our current place is that we ship on the Mississippi River um, and our end goal is that we have to get product to market in this amount of time for this dollar amount for this greenhouse gas emission target. So, we sort of have three goals. So, we would then feed in real time data about what the flow of the river was, as well as provide projections around do we think it's drought? Do we think it's normal? Do we think it's high flow? And then the, we help our customers set what those thresholds are to ensure they know when they need to move to the end case. And what we take there is instead of saying, we predict that next quarter, the Mississippi River will flood again, or we predict uh, in three years that it'll be a drought condition, we say, assume there might be drought, assume there might be flooding. We don't know when it's going to happen. We're deeply uncertain in the face of climate and climate changes to the natural environment. What do we do to ensure you get there? And what is the lead time you need to, get, to ensure you can transition to that other strategy. That's a very complex
2: situation. Does it make sense at all? Oh, I I think it does. I I do love this idea of deep uncertainty matched with the deep resilience that you're describing, um, which I, I believe is in fact what you're describing. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Exactly. Um. That's exactly it. It is all about Facilitating resilience in the face of deep uncertainty through the use of data and linking it to
2: the decisions we make. Exactly. Which is so fascinating and I think so necessary um, at this particular moment. Um, well, and I think one of the challenges is that there, I think
1: this speaks to sort of where I think we're all or most of us are n- nervous about the uncertainty of what climate change can bring. And there are a couple of ways to sort of salve that fear. You can do nothing and deny that it's happening, you can attempt to become incredibly precise with the projections of what might happen. That, like, this is scary, we're not sure what's going to happen let's use technology, let's use data, let's use modeling, let's use AI to like do our best job to say the sea level will rise by one meter in this location on this day. And what we know, like that's a really natural reaction that seems logical, but what we know about statistics and projections is that we're more likely to be wrong than right. Because we just don't have the fidelity and we don't understand things like what happens in Arctic ice sheet collapse. We don't know. We've never seen it. We've never measured that. So we don't know what's going to happen. And so we take a different strategy, which we think is sort of the, a different side, which is let's just assume we don't know. Let's be okay in this like morass of deep uncertainty and let's plan our way out of it. And let's create the multiple pathways that ensure we have what we need. There's a, still a lot of unpredictability, right? Who knows what's oh, going to happen, but, but that's the idea.
2: Yeah. Well, and I, I'm really, I think your approach is so interesting because there's sort of the, the two approaches to the climate crisis that I'm most familiar with are the, we can technology our way out, and those are the geoengineers and the techno-optimists, right? And then there's the flip side, um, which is the degrowth model, the Dana Meadows, the, you know, we can, be, like, behavior our way out of it. Um, right. And I think that yours, like the the GSUSA, uh, approach, is so interesting because it's it's I think it's a little bit deeper than we can behaviorally out. That we can cognitively uh, plan our way out. We can not necessarily change behavior, but change the way in which we play the game.
1: Yeah, and I also think there's this. We have to come to the reality that we're already seeing very disruptive human harming, environment harming, animal harming, whatever, harmful consequences of climate change. We are seeing unprecedented things we have never experienced before. And so I think also this recognition of like, it's here and we need to figure out what we're going to do with this really difficult situation we're faced with, whether that's, um, extreme heat like we've never seen or wildfires like we've never observed and there is some we can do some really strategic planning and we can take protective actions and resilience actions that can be powerful and hopefully protective to to human health It yeah,
2: brings climate change into the immediate
1: yeah absolutely
2: um well, being mindful of the time, I, I want to ask you the questions that uh, we ask of all of our guests on the impact report. Um, the first of which is uh, What do you see as the biggest sustainability challenge we have to take on during 2020? So, within the next year, I've
1: struggled. I, I saw this question and really struggled with it. I come back to my emergency management roots on this and think everybody individually should evaluate their own personal and family's risk to natural hazards. Determine if you live in a flood zone. Look at the the challenges that face you in your geography, in your work, in your school, in your home. Get a sense of those and make a plan for how you're going to manage those should it happen evaluate your personal insurance and make sure you have enough and then also make a kit make sure you have 72 hours of food and water make sure you have a little bit of cash and small bills and the things that you need to be resilient should a natural hazard affect you we know that there are more and more um, natural hazards in occurrence in severity and unpredictability and so I think there's really um, power to be had in personal preparedness it seems so um Girl Scouty and a little bit basic in the face of sort of this really huge challenge we have, but I think it's a step that we can all take and it will make everybody more resilient, which will make every make the whole community more resilient.
2: Love that it speaks to like individual action, which I think sometimes gets lost in climate in climate discussions because it is the most global problem we've ever had.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's a really tangible totally within your reach like sometimes it feels really hard to make an impact you're like i don't know i don't know how to do this i don't know how to decarbonize the environment i don't have that skill set but like you can absolutely make a plan it's it's a totally no cost thing to do so yeah it's re- it's really empowering i think
2: yeah absolutely um so the the final question that i have for you um is what do you see as the biggest challenge in your day-to-day work in uh, sustainability and climate risk? Speed. I think
1: people, enterprises, government, everybody, the sort of more people you engage in the problem-solving, sometimes the slower it can get. So you just, even the speed at which people can schedule meetings to make decisions to take action is so, molasses slow, and we just don't have enough time. And so I think there's this idea around um, action with urgency, that is the biggest challenge we face that everybody just needs to be moving a little bit faster, and with a real sense of urgency around what it is they're doing. And um, I think that's ever present in my job of, of getting on people's calendars and getting people to be making decisions and be planning and making, taking steps, but that manifests itself all the way to the highest levels of, um, how much can we actually get done in an annual planning cycle in the cop world and, and what does legislation is so slow to get passed and all of it just feels so slow when we have these huge challenges.
2: Um, since we have two more minutes, I'm going to ask you one final question. I, I, I'm curious what you see as like, that was a, a bit of a dark spot, like the biggest challenge is speed. I'm curious what you think of as like the nugget of hope in your day-to-day work and sustainability since you are in this space and do get to see the big picture? Like what is, what is the nugget of hope for you? Uh,
1: I see startups, especially coming up with unbelievably inventive, innovative, creative solutions to the challenges of climate change. Um, I recently was at a pitch event and we were talking about the increased incidence of um, catastrophic hailstorms and that pretty soon there's not going to be any hail coverage for cars and roofs. And the innovation that's coming out of that idea is that people are investing in green incredibly hail resistant polymers so that we'll paint our cars once and they'll never get hail damage again and they're also investing in incredible or like inventing amazing roof shingles that are solar and built in and they're totally hail resistant so we won't even need that coverage and there is this sort of like leaps and bounds of creative energy in solving these problems in such very cool ways. And one of the things I take a lot of solace in is that um, as a planner and as somebody who who faces deep uncertainty and enables things in the face of lots of risk, um, no matter how much you plan, it never ends up looking like you think it will ever. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in your day-to-day life. It doesn't happen in emergency management or climate management, anything. And so I actually find that really inspiring that people are going to come up with incredible innovations and we can't even imagine right now what that's going to look like. And hopefully, and I have hope and faith and um, heart that it is going to be so cool and so great. And there's going to be things that are just going to be outstanding. And yeah, that's, that's what gives me hope. All this innovation and creativity that comes out of strife and
2: challenge. Well, I would definitely say you are part of that. And I am so thankful that you took the time to speak with me. Well, and
1: I wish you tons of luck on your adventures. And uh, dual major seems like a good one. Bring those things to knit those things together because we have big challenges. So thanks for digging in.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Learn more about Geospiza by visiting geospiza.us. That's G-E-O-S-P-I-Z-A dot U-S. Join us for the next episode of The Impact Report on Friday, March 6th. We'll be speaking with Billy Shore, founder and chief executive of Share Our Strength. For the complete lineup and other news, visit us at impactreportpodcast.com follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The Bard MBA in Sustainability is one of a select few graduate programs globally that fully integrates sustainability into a core business curriculum. Learn more at bard.edu slash mba.